Hi everyone, I'm Lee Savile-Iksik and this is the Artsbound Podcast, where I speak with professionals from across the performing arts industries to capture bits of wisdom, insight, and inspiration for students and young professionals exploring careers in music, theater, and dance. Today, I'm speaking with Jason Cook. Jason is the owner of Backstage Guitars in Pittsburgh, a guitar repair center and lesson studio that started as a full-service retail store. Jason talks about the challenges of being a business owner as well as the payoffs, and reflects on how important it is for artists to follow their calling as opposed to giving up on it for more security. At some point during the show, you're going to hear a slight change in audio quality. After we had stopped recording, my chat with Jason led to some really fruitful conversation. And although we weren't recording our own audio anymore, our Zoom call was still running. And so I pulled the audio from that Zoom call so that you could hear a little bit of that conversation. I hope you enjoy my talk with Jason Cook. Hi, Jason. What's up, Lee? How are you? Good. Uh, I'm super excited for this conversation. Uh, You and I go way back, uh, hanging out and uh, getting into mischief as middle schoolers and high schoolers. A little bit. A little bit. No, we weren't too bad. Not, yeah. Um, Could have been worse. (laughs) But uh, so we're thrilled to have you on the show for you to talk about your business. And um, I talked a little bit in the intro um, just about uh, Backstage Guitars, um, a shop that you started when you were 24 years old. And um, many years later, over 10 years later now, um, that business has evolved and uh, gone through a few different iterations. So um, why don't you, could you start just by like telling us um, a little bit of the backstory um, you were, you were graduating college, you were playing in a band, you were like getting ready to like tour or, you know, try to make the band happen. Um, and that all didn't quite work out. And, uh, and then you ended up in this other, uh, endeavor, which, um, yeah. Yeah. So just, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, uh, to go back, back in high school, I started a band with some friends, uh, and it's pretty typical punk rock, hardcore music, uh, played VFWs and small places, did a few small tours on the East Coast. Um, and a bandmate of mine and friend, Jake uh, Micklow, was in another band and they were touring more full United States tours. So he was getting really good experience touring and learning a lot there. And, and we were playing on the East Coast, different places through college and everything. And, uh, like you said, we were kind of hoping to put out like a, a good full length record and tour on it and it just fell apart. We all kind of found like our lives, like we had to find some sort of stability. Our drummer was getting like a, a good job out of college. He couldn't pass it up. Um, I was in a very serious relationship with my now wife, Laura, and we just, it didn't work out. It's very hard to make a band work. It's like having, five or more relationships with five people (laughs) and everyone has to be on the same page and it's super hard. And, uh, I admire bands that can make it work a lot, but, uh, yeah, 
so I was in college for English and I originally went to college for um, what I thought was going to be a music business degree. Um, Clarion University had a thing called a music business degree. I barely graduated high school, literally barely graduated high school. Uh, the uh, guidance counselor called me down towards the end of our senior year and was like, hey, you're probably not going to pass. <laughs> you've been, <laughs> you've missed too many days. Like my grades were okay, but I didn't go, uh, especially my last year. I didn't have a lot of uh, support or guidance from home and I was able to just not go. And then I had some friends like Jake and other people that would call me in the morning and be like from school and be like, you need to come to school now. <laughs> and uh, I was really fortunate to have his mom and parents help me kind of find a pathway to college. So I went to Clarion with my friend Jake and uh, for a music business, which I didn't even know what that was. And I ended up okay. doing, yeah, I mean, they didn't know what it was. It wasn't a real thing. <laughs> when we got there, we realized real quick that it was just some like side uh, sort of, I don't know, uh, degree that you could get that they were kind of trying a new program because they had a really good business school and they had a music program and they were trying to get it kind of together. Um, and it turned out to be just like you take business classes and you take some music classes and they give you a music business degree. It wouldn't have really helped me at all from what I learned. But uh, to start in that program, we needed to have a music background. And growing up, I loved playing guitar. I was in a band. I, I knew a little bit, but like I only knew enough to play in a punk band, really, because I never had the foundation. You were self-taught for the most part. Self-taught, yeah. and like I never had the foundation or the resources to take lessons. No one motivated me to take lessons. I just didn't have the support for it. So I went to school in the general education, just for general education uh, credits and to start that music business program. And I was going to learn, take lessons, learn what I needed to know to get into the program. Um, but after the first year, I realized that that program wasn't what I needed or wanted. Um, Jake and I had talked a lot in college and before college about opening a studio slash music store slash lessons place like a cool spot um that's just like an art music business and we thought that was our direction to get there um business classes would have helped <laughs> i ended up getting an english degree because i fell in love with the, the english department and um really got focused on a career in writing and when I graduated college, I got a job. I was looking for jobs with like technical writing. Okay. And I didn't want to move. So there weren't a lot of options. And I ended up doing closed captioning for television for two years and just uh, spent every day staring at a computer, watching TV, literally watching TV and just typing <laughs> okay. all day. And it was fun for a little while it was cool but there's not a lot of like it wasn't what i wanted to do with my life you know right I, and so jake was still in that band touring he decided that that was over and wanted to open a store and invest in something that was going to be more secure and home and stable so he uh and i came together and opened the shop in lawrenceville 
with other people um, involved as well. But I basically came on there at first just part-time, and I worked at the shop when we opened in 2009 on Butler Street in Lawrenceville in Pittsburgh. And uh, I worked there part-time and then did the closed captioning thing for three to six months. It wasn't long before Jake was like, I'm going to open another shop. I need you to run this one. Hmm. So I started managing the shop in, in Lawrenceville and he opened another store about 20 miles North in a town called Wexford. Um, and then the guy that was helping us, his name's Jason as well. He was managing that store. So I tried to learn as much as I possibly could as fast as I could about the shop, about repairs, about selling retail music stuff in a very short amount of time so I could run that shop. And we opened in 2009 and uh, Lawrenceville is a, is a crazy neighborhood now. It's very, very built up and there's a lot going on down here. But, you know, 12 years ago, there wasn't as much happening. Right. And we were really lucky to get into a spot that we could afford to open a new business and try something new out. Yeah, that continued to grow in terms of the kind of vibrancy and the and the draw for yeah. people to come. Yeah. Yeah, the location became a, a big positive thing for us being in Lawrenceville. Great. For sure. So you started as a manager. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, in like our- part I really worked part-time for a few months at first and then like the goal was always manage the shop someday to maybe own it. And that is actually what happened. And I didn't know if that would actually happen or not, but that's what happened. Um, So I started working there, cleaning the basement, setting up guitars, putting stuff on the walls, learning how to set up guitars, learning how to care for guitars, customer relations, learning how to talk to people, learning how to sell things to people. We developed our own way of selling things to people that wasn't the way a lot of stores in the area act, which is very car salesman-y. We never really liked how... uh, people were very pushy about selling stuff. Like Mm -hmm. it's not about quotas. It's about getting somebody something they want. So we really tried to develop a, a customer first kind of thing. And we tried to carry a lot of different stuff too. Our angle was very different. And when we opened the shop, we really wanted to have stuff that was not what you see at every store, you know, for guitars, it's Fender and Gibson. You see that everywhere. So for us, we tried to find brands that were different and new and exciting and cool and also really good quality instruments and affordable stuff too yeah people you know we had yeah well so uh go no go ahead you can finish that thought no i was just gonna say like it was we were really trying to do something different when we first opened and we had some really nice stuff because we thought pittsburgh needed a higher end guitar feel store feel like Mm -hmm. a place where you could get stuff that you can't get anywhere else at the time, like effects pedals and things like that were not really well known, not really widely used. Um, like the boutique stuff was not really well distributed. So we wanted to give those small brands a place to sell their stuff in Pittsburgh. I love that. You know, yeah. And what strikes me uh, as really fascinating is you talk about your background as like not having a whole lot of support or resources or, or even necessarily guidance, like getting out of high school, going into college. But here you are, um, like very shortly thereafter running a shop and 
with what seems to be kind of like really good savvy for, for business in terms of like talking about how you're selling, talking about the types of things that you're stocking um, and really having a concept, um, mm-hmm. wanting to be innovators in the industry. Um, so do you feel like was that just kind of a natural knack? It was an intuitive thing that that you were finally able to exercise or did you like have to, you know, did you read a lot of trade magazines and other things um, to help build those skills? I think it comes a lot like the innovative that you said innovative. I think that comes a lot from the type of music we were playing okay. and being in uh, punk and hardcore scene. It's very DIY. It's very, you know, you figure out how to find the edge and bring people in or, you know, do something different because that's, you don't want to be like everyone else. Right. You knew me in high school. I had a mohawk. <laughs> I, I wore suits to school. I had a mohawk, and you know, I didn't want to be like everyone else. Right. Um, so that kind of carried over, and I also worked at McDonald's. I worked at Burger King. I worked crappy jobs. I worked a gas station job for a long time. I worked in college as a tutor. Yeah. At our writing center, and I learned a lot about talking to people and dealing with people and being clear with people and things like that, which helped a lot in business and retail. Um, But as far as planning out the business model and everything, it was something that Jake and I and the, uh, our, our friend Jason who worked with us at the time kind of developed because you can't open a shop that already exists. If there was, you know, there's a coffee shop across the street from me right now. If I opened a coffee shop in my spot that was doing all the same kind of stuff that she's doing, it's not going to do well. It's not a smart idea. You need to differentiate yourself and find a new pathway to bring in the people that are underserved. Um, that's the idea. So it's tough. It, it's tough. It was tough for us, especially in the Pittsburgh market, because people in Pittsburgh, I think, are stubborn in a good way and uh people like what they like and they're not usually open to new stuff Hmm. and that was sort of a hurdle for us and um but at the same time a lot of people got it a lot of people still get it a lot of people really appreciate what we were doing and appreciate the idea what we were going for and i keep saying it like past tense the store is no longer a store so now where we're I'm, i'm at now a year ago I left my uh, 4123 Butler Street retail shop and moved up the street. I'm still in Butler on Butler Street in Lawrenceville, um, but I have just a repair shop and a lessons program. So we teach lessons and we do repairs. Um, something I found out while we were running the shop all those years was the most profitability is in repairs and lessons. And what I'm best at is repairs. Everything we do now is by appointment. I don't have open hours where people can just come open the door and walk in. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before, we just had people in and out all day. People wanted to talk. Some people wanted to play stuff. Some people just wanted to hang out. Some people needed specific things. Um, now, it's just you make an appointment. You drop your stuff off. I fix it. I let you know when it's ready. You come pick it up. Um, and then I deal with customers, like the students and stuff that come and go. I see them and talk to them a little bit. But... 
for the most part, that kind of uh, is self-contained, and the, the teachers run that program. Yep. Um, and I like that. Most of our students are adults, um, which is probably rare. I think I've mentioned that to people before, and they're always like, really? Most people who take guitar lessons are kids. I'm yeah. like, no. Most of them are like middle-aged men mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and women. We have we have a lot of like, you know, young young adult men and women that take lessons and uh it's actually awesome because it's a lot of people who are in their career or whatever and they they find this passion or they've always had this passion and they want to learn and so they come here and like it's just it's a good environment for it yeah so uh i'm i'm kind of fascinated about the the guitar repair stuff um because i i personally you know i I went the route of going to the formal kind of traditional music school and learning to play and never really learning a whole lot of the technical hands-on stuff. Yeah. Like even um, the things that I know now about recording or sound engineering are just little things that I picked up from coworkers of mine after I started teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, never took any classes in music technology or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my um, former or... a a prior podcast guest is a luthier so he's a guitarist he builds violins um he doesn't actually play violin but um he you know makes a full-time has a full-time gig building violins and actually restoring violins is is more of what he does um and so um he his whole story uh he just kind of started working not unlike yours kind of like started working in a shop part-time you know sweeping the floor and just started kind of learning from the technicians that were working around him um and then apprenticed with somebody and then started you know working as a luthier himself um i'm curious with all the guitar work repair work that you do you're really good at it. You've worked on my guitar, um, uh, and it's you know sounds great. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Is this was it for you all just on the job training, or did you ever work with somebody, apprentice with somebody? Both. I mean, uh, so even before the store, I was really, really always interested in fixing anything, but fixing guitars. Uh, and messing with guitars and tinkering with my own stuff and changing the pickups. And honestly, it's probably because I'm not a good player. Like, I think there are people who are like really good players. Some people are just naturally gifted musicians and they work really hard and and then they become like excellent musicians. I'm like not naturally talented musician and I can work really hard and still only be an average musician. So, and that's fine. I accepted that a long time ago. But I'm really good at fixing things. I'm really good at taking things apart, figuring out how they work and putting them back together or whatever or changing things. And and I'm always interested in uh, the way things are made and the way things work. That's kind of why my my English degree was actually in technical writing. Right. You know, I love literature. I love reading fiction and whatever. But technical writing makes sense to me. So the technical aspect of guitar, building them, fixing them, repairing them, whatever, uh, makes more sense to me. It's just the way my brain works. But to your question, the, uh, person that we originally, well, Jake originally hired to work with us at the shop and basically help us manage opening a guitar shop, had experience at a guitar shop 
he had worked at another shop that we used to shop at for decades and he wasn't working in music at the time. He's a musician, but he wasn't working in retail. And we asked him to come on board and help. And he gave us a ton of his time and years and years of his life to help us build the shop. And I learned a lot from him. He'd worked at other stores uh, doing maintenance, like uh, you know, tech work for guitar stuff. Guitar repair is weird. So you said uh, you interviewed a luthier. Mm-hmm. There's not really... Like, you don't go to school and get, like, a certificate that says you're now a luthier. Right. Like, it's not a degree. It's not – it's a, a acoustic instrument repair person. I consider myself a luthier as well. I could build an acoustic guitar from a, a tree, and that is developed over time. You know, you learn that from other people, like you said, apprenticing, and then, like, obviously there's a wealth of information online. I think there's no uh, substitute for learning – in person from a person, whether it's music, whatever. I think learning stuff on YouTube videos is dangerous. Um, but so I learned a lot from that guy, Jason. And I also learned from somebody he's friends with as well, who I always still to this day, I pick his brain a lot, the local luthier who's been doing this for his, most of his life. And, you know, he does it on the side. He, he drives a truck you know, for his day job. And then he does repairs on the side. When we had things, you know, when we opened up for the first three or four or five years and we had things that were too difficult for us to handle, I would take it to this guy. His name's Mike. And Mike was super generous, generous with helping me and showing me and, and helping us out. Um, so I learned a lot from him as well. But other than that, hands-on, you know, learn from your mistakes, build on it. Um, if somebody wanted to do this, like if somebody said like my passion is guitars and I want to fix guitars, it's, it's a hard thing to find a job in. You have to create the job. You have to apprentice. You have to work somewhere, maybe not make any money for a really long time until you get the skill level that you can charge people to fix their stuff and they trust you. Right. Um, it, it takes a long time. And we had a, a lot of people over the years come to the shop and say, hey, I, I fix guitars. I want a job. And I'm like, all right, well, we could do like an apprenticeship. You know, we could tr- you could work at the shop and I can teach you things along the way. And I'd always kind of tried to get people that worked in the shop that were interested in fixing things and helping with the setups that I could teach and hopefully kind of groom into a full-time person to help me with that stuff and uh it's just a lot to learn and and nobody really was passionate about it i never really found anybody that was like my right hand man for repairs because no one's as as passionate about it as i am and so like i'm i was always kind of hard on them (laughs) and you know well yeah and and that's fair and and sometimes uh you know it, it that type of guidance can come in lots of different ways, but um, you know, I think the the reason why I started Artsbound was because I feel like there there's a need in the world for more people in the arts to do work that they are passionate about, to to really live into their calling, not to be um, uh, you know kind of seduced by like fame or money. 
um, or or on the flip side, kind of just say like, well, I just I just want something that's stable, and and choosing something that they're not really excited about, yeah, because there's fear of like taking some some risks that would actually lead them in the direction of something that's more um, more lights them up. Um, but it sounds like you've really tapped into that thing for you. When you work for yourself <laughs> for a while and you don't have like a boss boss, yeah, you never want to go back. So, you know, I had a boss boss. I had a job where I had to wear the nice shirt and pants and go in every day and like clock in on the thing and sit behind a desk all day. And I didn't like it. And it's not for me. I'm, if you have an artistic brain and you like music or the arts, whatever it is, it's going to be real hard for you to stay happy working in a job that's just a job. And you can always have your passions and stuff on the side, you know, and if you can be like, all right, I'm, I'm cool working this eight, eight hours a day, punch in and leave. I make my money. I can do my art on the side. You can live like that, but you're probably not going to live your life to the fullest extent uh, that you could if you were working in something that you're passionate about. Um, I'm lucky for sure yeah. that I get that I get to do this, but it and took then, a long time. Yeah, I was going to say, and I'm I'm just uh, I'm I'm impressed, Jason, to hear you talk about the. Like you, it hasn't necessarily been an easy road. You've you've had uh, you know challenges and other things that um, it certainly takes a sense of dedication and um, you know I, I I use the word calling a lot uh, in in what I do with Artsbound, but you obviously had a sense of like this is something that I really feel drawn to that I feel called to that right. um, makes it worthwhile kind of overcoming those challenges. Yeah. For sure. And it's, man, I, I don't know how you like, you just have to buy in. You just have to do it. You just have to trust it. You know, um, you have to trust that it's possible. And if, if it's tough because I know some, I know musicians that are phenomenal musicians. Hmm. Uh, I have a friend who's a really amazing piano player and he teaches lessons and he also does um he writes music for uh commercials and movies and you know soundtrack stuff and soundscapes and that kind of thing for decent good productions and he yeah. makes good money you know he gets he has an at-home studio he works at home he makes good money but he's busted his butt to get there and uh He's constantly working, he's constantly writing, he's constantly making music and like writing these huge scores and there's deadlines and the better you get at it, the harder it gets because you have bigger and bigger clients that expect more and more. Right. And a lot of that's just on the job training. You gotta teach yourself how to, how to be better at it every time you work. And uh, you know, he wanted to be a concert pianist, I'm sure. You know, when he was in college, he probably thought he was gonna be a famous concert pianist, but you realize real quick, there's only so many famous musicians, you know, not everyone can do it. So when you can find a way to use what you know and what you love as a, as a job, you know, make it your career. I think that's a really special thing. It's important because if you give up on that, 
and you just decide I'm going to go work a job at a desk answering phones or doing whatever, um, it takes those artistic people kind of out of the world. You know, it takes your, you know, your calling, whatever is not being, is not being put to use. And I think that that's unfortunate. I think there needs to be, like you said, there's, there's jobs out there. There's, there's opportunities to make jobs for people who are interested in the arts for sure. Might be a little harder, like you said, but nothing, uh, nothing worth having is easy. Well, if you had to, um, kind of looking at the flip side from all the challenges, if you had to just share a little bit about, um, like some of the things that you've found most fulfilling about the work that you do, like it, you know, whether it's talking to somebody or just kind of like kind of zoning in and spending time with an instrument, um, like what, what is that experience? What is that fulfillment like for you? I mean, on a, on a really like personal level, I, I get joy out of fixing things. So like when I can take something that's like otherwise going to be trash Mm. really and make it something playable that somebody can use, or a lot of times I'll get people that bring me a guitar that's destined for the trash and we can fix it up and they give it to somebody who's learning to play who can't afford a guitar. Yeah. That really makes me feel good about what I'm doing. Um, regular setups and guitar setups and things like that, that, you know, the day to day work is great and I like doing it and makes people happy and that's cool. But, um, I like, I like saving the trash guitars. It makes me feel good. But, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just fulfilling to be able to, to create something on your own. And, you know, I also, we, you know, we do lessons. We have right now four teachers, um, before COVID-19 in March, I had six teachers and we had about a hundred students, which is good for us. And, uh, we're down to like 30, I think, but that giving those teachers a place to work and fulfill what they want to do. You know, a lot of times musicians have to teach lessons to people to make money. I mean, that's a big part of any musician's income. I have all these guys here and people I've met over the years who are, you know, gigging musicians. They make money playing music at bars and restaurants and touring and whatever. That's their passion, but they have to teach lessons when they get home because they got to make money and you don't make money all the time when you're a a performer. So giving them a place to make money and teach is also a big part of why I do this. Hmm. Um, I've developed friendships with these people and I want to keep them working and able to do what they want to do as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really fulfilling to just be your own boss and, you know, have the flexibility and, uh, but it takes, it takes a lot of work to get there. You know, like you said earlier, like opening a business is a risk. You have to take a risk and there's a lot of ways to do it. You know, you can borrow money, you could take a loan, you could be lucky to have money, you could start small and try to build it up. There's a lot of ways to do it. 
Um, but it's all a risk. Yeah. And um, when you when you made that risk, did you have a plan B? Did you have a, a safety net of any type? I guess you were doing the closed captioning thing. Well, originally, yeah. And so originally when I took the job, when Jake said, you know, do you want to come work here and manage the shop? I said, yeah, it was a bit of a risk. He gave me a pay raise from what I was making. So it was like, cool, I'm going to make more money, but I might never make more money after that. <laughs> like <laughs> this could last two years and I might have to go back to that. Or I kind of always felt like, especially for the first three or four years, like I had a degree, I could go search for a job in that field. That always felt like a safety net, having a degree. Now I don't think I would use my degree for anything. I don't, my degree now is in fixing guitars. You know, I have, sure. that's yeah. what I do. That's what I'm, that's what I know. Um, but when I bought, so in 2017, 16, 17 is when I bought the store from Jake. And he, he also has another business endeavor, uh, true believer jujitsu where I train jujitsu and that was blowing up for him. And he didn't, he didn't need both things going on in his life. And so I took over the shop then and uh, that was a scary thing. You know, there's not really a safety net there. The store's doing well, but exactly what happened is something that I was forced to uh, come up with a plan B. You know, I was basically forced out of my lease. I didn't have anywhere to go. I had a store that full of stuff that I had to get rid of um, and nothing but like my expertise, my knowledge. So I took what we did best and I found a place where I could basically redesign, you know, not redesign, but change the business model for backstage guitars, you know, make it, make it profitable in, in a new way. That was that, this is my plan B. <laughs> this is kind of what I had to do whenever it didn't work for whatever reason, you know, and maybe if the store was making tons and tons and tons of money. Like if I was killing it, I could have opened another store somewhere, but retail music retail is really difficult. The margins are really low. The, uh, competition with online sales is extremely difficult. Mm. And so it kind of made more sense to me anyways, to not have a physical retail store. It almost has become a novelty. You know, sure. we would get customers coming in and playing a guitar on the wall that was brand new. We got it brand new. I set it up, hung it on the wall. They'd play it. They'd go buy it on the internet because huh. that's new to them. And it was like, man, this can't go on. <laughs> this is <laughs> it's not sustainable. Uh, you got to sell stuff. And it, you know, is disheartening because I still think people need to be out in stores buying stuff, especially instruments. I think you got to play them before you buy them. I so believe in that. Yeah. When I was in college, it was, uh, English degrees are kind of similar to music degree. I mean, arts degrees. Yeah, sure. There's not like a job you walk into. Nope. So we had like, I worked in the writing center and I was a tutor there. And like, we would have full on, uh, like, sessions where we would try to brainstorm jobs for the English department for the students to have like resources. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's like, what can we do? How can you work in this field if you're not going to be a writer? 
Like if you're not going to be a famous writer, which is what everyone wants, everyone wants to write a book and be famous and tour and read your book and be, you know, rich and famous, whatever. Yeah. Um, have people read your stuff. It's not going to happen for everybody. So what can you do? You can be a teacher. Same with music. You can be a teacher um, or they're like, you know, technical writer or whatever, whatever, whatever. And uh, it's interesting how you, as you, a, as you get older and as you expand your network and as you see more of what's available in the world, it's really hard when you're in high school or in, in your college to see what's available. Yeah. Uh, when I was in college, I was like, I'm going to come back for my master's and teach college English. Mm-hmm. That was, that was the plan C that was the plan. If, <laughs> if I was going to gra- I graduated, I was going to work for whatever until I felt ready to go back to school. Cause I was kind of burnt out on it. I didn't want to be in school anymore. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another and here I am, but you know, I was going to be a teacher. I was going to go, you know, back and teach, which would have been okay too. And that's perfectly fine Avenue. I don't know that I would have loved it as much as what I do now, Mm -hmm. but even now I like teaching people. I had somebody come here the other day who has a sitar, like a front, like a Persian sitar. And I've set it up for her three or four times. That's like 70 bucks every time. And yeah. she's like, I broke another string. Can you just teach me how to restring this thing? I can't spend $70 every time I get this thing fixed. And I was like, for sure, bring it in. We'll go, I'll show you how we do it. Yeah. Easy. And I didn't charge her anything. And uh, I was like, look, I'm not going to charge you. It's not a big deal. And she's like, I have this for you. And she gave me this. She handed this to me and she's like, I made this. It's a story. Each one of these symbols is a person and it tells a story and it's called the short journey. Huh. And I was like, you made this for me? <laughs> oh, why? Like, that's crazy. I mean, thank you. And she's like, well, you weren't going to take any money and you taught me how to do this. So I made this for you. That thing must've taken a long time. Wow. Um, but that's like to go back to the what's fulfilling. And I know mm-hmm. we're not on, on the podcast anymore. Well, I'm still recording. So this oh, might good. make it. <laughs> cool. That's kind of, that's the kind of thing that like makes me feel good. Like that's the kind of thing that is fulfilling to me. Yeah. Something you, you said kind of struck me. And uh, maybe just to wrap up I, this little story from earlier today, we just switched our son over to like still sitting in his car seat, but wearing the the car seat belt instead mm-hmm. of the harness in the mm-hmm. car seat. Like a booster. He said, a booster uh, "Yeah, right." Whatever. And he said, yeah. "Daddy, I'm a little, I'm a little scared. I don't like the the big boy seat belt." Um, and I said, "Is it because because it's not tight?" And he said, "Yeah, that's why." And um, and it just hit me that you know. I, I kind of sold it to him on this, like, you have more freedom. Like, you can bend forward and pull something out of the pocket in front of you. Um, and uh, it, it just hit me that that kind of as a general rule in life, um, having freedom a lot of times comes with, with less security. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what you were saying about being your own boss and, and um, just the, the risk that it takes... And, um, you know, sometimes we can idolize the, the concept of freedom um, and, like, you know, have it be something that we chase. 
But uh, I think in a lot of ways, we also kind of pacify ourselves into not having freedom um, so that we can just kind of feel more comfortable and secure. Um, yeah. And it, and it sounds like you've done, uh, like you've done the work of taking that risk and, and finding, it, uh, finding a sense of freedom that is, uh, you know, healthy, where, you, where you're still able to kind of take mm-hmm. care of the needs of you and your family. You've got kids yourself, and, yeah. um, but uh, like feel really good about what you're doing. So yeah. I congratulate you on that. Thanks, man. You know, and I think it takes a certain kind of person to be your own boss. It's hard to motivate yourself every day. Sometimes it's easier for someone to just tell you what to do, and you sure. do it. And the world is set up that way. I mean, that the world is set up for us to be pacified, and you have, if you, I think, you're more fulfilled as a person, um, especially people who are are artistic, in whatever the arts are. Um, and I know that's kind of the 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 idea here is uh, giving people insight and ideas on how artistic minded people can support themselves <laughs> yeah. in life. Um, and it might be harder because you can't walk in and just get a job at, at, at the accountant's office and be an accountant and punch numbers and make a bunch of money. Um, you might not make a bunch of money. You might make <laughs> enough money to live, mm-hmm. but your sanity is going to be intact. Like you're going to feel a lot better about your life. I would imagine if, if you're the type of person that wants to create and uh, you know, or be around creative people or be a part of the creative process or whatever it is. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that the world's set up to pacify people (laughs) and I think that it's hard to break out of, you know, it's hard to, so I started doing jujitsu in 2015, uh, when Jake opened his school in Lawrenceville and every single day, even now on my way to jujitsu, I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go fight people. I don't want to go get my head smashed in. Like I don't. And it's not that bad. If you're interested, <laughs> if you're interested in jujitsu, go try it because it's amazing. It forces you to put yourself in extremely uncomfortable positions. Um, and at the end of the day, you realize you're still alive. You're not hurt. It sucked and you learn something and then you grow. And I think the only way to grow is by forcing yourself to learn something. I didn't learn how to learn until I went to college. And I think had I not gone to college, I'd probably still be working at the gas station in Mars. Hmm. I don't know. But going to college taught me how to learn and it taught me how to get what I want. And it's really important to be able to figure out what you want because most people, young people, when I was young, I was forced to grow up early kind of. And so I had like a very adult outlook, but I didn't have any experience. I didn't have any knowledge. So I didn't know what I wanted. And I don't think most people know what they want when they go to college. And so going for the general education degree, finding my way into the arts through English was really important for me, even though I'll never use that degree. It was really important for me to learn how to learn and learn how to like be an adult, (laughs) like a real adult and, uh, find out how to get what I want in my life, you know, figure out what you want for your life and then make it happen. And it's hard to do. 
and it, it takes a lot of help. You got to accept help from people and meet people. And know, especially in the music industry, you got to know people. Um, so it's really important to network and that kind of thing. But um, it's important to force yourself to find what your what your uh, you know calling is, what your what your passion is, and make it a reality. I know that sounds that sounds really like stupid and inspirational talk, but um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's true for everybody. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, thanks, Jason. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat. This has been hey, awesome. Man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you to Jason Cook for sharing his thoughts and his story. If you'd like to learn more about Jason's business, you can go to backstageguitars.com and you can view pictures of the beautiful guitar work that Jason has done on Instagram at Backstage Guitars. As always, if you'd like to explore what it means to design a performing arts career that is an answer to your own personal calling, you can visit artsboundcareerdesign.com. Chris Lidecker composes our theme music. I'm Lee Savalixic. Thanks for listening.